Good to see you all uh, this morning. Glad to see everybody again and see a couple new faces. Um, before we get started, uh, why don't we have a time of prayer, go before the Lord uh, and seek his, his grace when, uh, as we come to his word. So let's pray. Almighty King and Lord, as we come before you, we recognize that you are our Lord, you are the ruler of heaven and earth, and we are not. May you impress that upon our hearts this morning. May you impress upon us uh, how devastating pride is, how wonderful it is to submit and surrender to you. May you teach us and guide us, Lord, and convict us in our sin, but also comfort us with the words of the gospel. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, So I've thrown another curveball. I like to do that a lot. Uh, last week we talked about humility, right? We talked about what it means to be humble. Um, and in the little bottom right corner what it's, where it says next week, it said temperance on the outline. Uh, well, I decided to not do temperance because I was thinking about humility. I was thinking about the, uh, how the Lord has called us to live. And I realized that it's really hard to talk about humility without talking about pride. Um, you can't really... Talk about humility and not talk in depth about pride. And last week we talked about pride a little bit. Right? We had a couple of little conversations about what it means to be prideful, what it looks like, uh, but we never really got into the, the meat of it. Uh, and so I thought it would be good for all of us to do would uh, take a few minutes um, this Sunday morning and think about pride. Talk about it, discuss it, um, try to kind of wrap our heads around it, but also maybe do some introspection. Right, look at our own hearts, um, because pride is one of those sins that's really sneaky. Uh, it is really good at disguising itself. It's really good at hiding, um, and pride is really good at driving our actions, driving our words and our motivations um, to look like they're actually good things, right? because pride doesn't want to be called for what it is. Pride wants to look like something good. Um, we're going to see this today uh, as we cover Exodus, uh, the first part of Exodus 4. Um, we're going to see Moses' pride and how it's disguised. Um, but because we talked about humility last week, I just thought it would be good to take some time and, and think about his counterpart. Um, but for some review about last week, we talked about humility. Right? We're talking about virtues. What does it mean to live a good life? What does it mean to live a life that honors God? What does God expect of us? What does God want from us? Uh, And so we've talked about how God has three categories that he applies to us and says, here's how you are to love me. Love me with your mind, love me with your heart, love me with your life. So we talked about how we love God with our minds, right? We have these virtues that he's called us to exhibit, things like trusting him, things like honoring the truth, uh, things like courage. Those are ways that the Lord has called us to love him uh, with our minds. And now we're talking about the heart. What does it mean to love God with your heart? Uh, last week talk, we talked about um, humility, but we talked about how humility is um, its an expression of surrender, right? Humility is an expression of surrendering to God, where you are saying, God is in control. God deserves uh, all of my adoration. God needs to be the object of my desires, of my thoughts, of my motivations. Uh, and that attitude drives us towards humility, to say, I know who I am, I know that I'm a sinner, but yet I trust in a good God, a God who is able to save. So when we talked about the vices with humility, we talked about two ways that that can look like humility, but it's not actually. 
right? We think that it's, it's humble of us to self-deprecate. I'm being really humble when I say, man, I'm just, I am terrible. I'm the worst. And we talk to others about how awful we are. And we think that we're being good, right? We think we're being pious and that this is a holy thing of us to say about ourselves. But in reality, that's pride. Why? Because it's still self-centered. It's still about you and who you are instead of God and who God is. Uh, Humility is not me-centered. Humility is externally centered. It centers on God. It centers on the people around us. And humility doesn't tear yourself down. Humility builds others up, right? It's not lessening your own achievements to seem like you're humble. It's rejoicing with other people about their achievements and what God has done in their lives, being thankful to God for how somebody else is blessed, right? How, how opposite is that from pride? Because pride, when pride sees someone else blessed, what does pride say? How, how come I'm not getting blessed like that? How come they have something that I don't have? Right? Pride turns into envy. It turns into jealousy. Uh, it turns into discontentment. And so you can't be discontent and humble at the same time. Because if you're discontent, what you're saying is, I deserve something more. Instead of, what God has given me is enough. And I am content and thankful for it. So when we talk about our hearts, right? when we talk about Loving God with our hearts, we talk about surrendering, which means we're giving up. Right? We're, we're saying that God is, is in control, and my desires and my hopes and my dreams have to be conformed to God. Not God has to fulfill my hopes and dreams and desires. Not God is a tool to achieve my hopes and dreams and desires, but conforming them to God. And now we, we're going to talk about pride. We're going to talk about the opposite attitude. Right? If that's what humility looks like, that's how humility manifests itself in our hearts and in our lives. Um, we need to understand the opposite. right? Because if pride is really this, a sneaky sin, a sin that is really hard to self-diagnose, a sin that we have to be on guard for, then we need to understand it. right? Because how can you defend against an enemy you don't understand? How can you slay the pride, the sin of pride if you don't even know what it is. Or worse, right, if you say to yourself, well, I'm not prideful. I'm the most humble person there is. Do you see this, the problem with that is you've already fallen into pride. So we need to know our enemy. And if we're going to know our enemy, we have to understand our own hearts. We have to understand why pride uh, acts the way it acts and what drives us towards pride. Uh, but what I want to start with is this question. All right, when we're talking about humility, we say if we're going to love God with our hearts, that means we'd be humble. So what does that make pride? What does that say about pride? If humility is loving God, what is pride? Loving yourself. Loving yourself. But what does that say about God? Okay, true. I would say it a lot sh- more stronger than that, though. If, if humility loves God, pride hates God. Right? Because if humility says, I love God and I want to submit and surrender to him, pride says, I hate God and I do not want to surrender to him. 
I don't want to believe in God. I don't want to do what God has told me to do. I don't want to submit to him. That's not love. That's hatred. Right? We fall into a little bit of a trap sometimes where we think that uh, we can be neutral towards God. We can have an attitude of kind of ambivalence, meaning right, God's out there. He's doing his thing. I'm doing my thing. And we just don't get in each other's way. But that's not how it works. Right? Either you are humble and loving God, or you are prideful, which means you are opposed to God. Uh, and scripture makes it very clear right, that pride and God are opposed to each other. God says God opposes the proud. So we have to take pride seriously. Right? We can't look at pride and say, well, this is not that big a deal. Yeah, I'm not as humble as I should be. But we have to take seriously the claims of God that pride is, God takes pride seriously, so we have to take pride seriously in our own hearts. But why? I'm asking you this. Why is pride a hatred of God? I mentioned already that it's a refusal to surrender. But why else? Why is pride actually about hating God? What do you think? If, if God is on the throne, right, and pride says God doesn't belong there, what is that a statement about God? It's a statement that God does not deserve to be king, right? That's a statement that God is not king, that he doesn't deserve it, he's not good enough for it. And the implication, right, is that I am. I'm good enough to be king. I'm, I deserve to be on the throne of my own little kingdom. So what pride says about God is God does not deserve to rule. Imagine, imagine saying that to God's face. Would any of us dare to say that to God's face? Probably not, right? Because when you come face to face with God... It's pretty obvious that he's more powerful than you. But that doesn't change the fact that when you live a prideful life, you are saying that with your actions. That when you live for yourself and for your own desires and you pursue yourself and you love yourself and, and refuse to obey God, what you're saying is that God doesn't deserve to rule. And I do. So pride lies about God. Pride says that God is not enough. It says things uh, like Psalm 73, where the psalmist looks at the prideful and, and the, uh, the wicked as they mock God. They say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Right? The implication is no. God can't know what I do. He's not, he doesn't know. He's not powerful enough. And even if he did know, he couldn't stop me. That's a lie about God. That's a lie about God's ability, about God's power, and about God's uh, his righteousness. That even if he did know, he either couldn't stop me or won't stop me. One of the things that pride does is 
it, it looks at God and conforms God to our own image. It says, God is like me. Therefore, God is also prideful. God is also judgmental. God is also wicked. God winks his eye at sin, which means God approves of it, right? God's like, you cheeky little bugger. I know you're doing something bad, but it's fine. Right? That's the attitude of pride. And it's such a lie. It's a refusal to believe the truth. It's a refusal to surrender to God. It's a refusal to admit who God is. So what does God have to say about pride? What, what scripture verses can you think of that talk about pride? What does is, what is the Lord's word have to say about pride? Yeah, pride goes before destruction, high spirit before a fall. Proverbs 16. What other passages can you think of? Yeah, Paul says in Romans 12, don't think more highly of yourself than you should. Don't be prideful. Have, be truthful with yourself is also an extension of being truthful about who God is. Because right? if you have to admit that you're not God, then you have to admit that God is. What else? I already mentioned one of these verses. Like God, be, not be not wise in your own sight? Absolutely. What is that really saying about yourself? I know what's going on. I know I have the wisdom God doesn't. What about the, the verse mentioned earlier? God uh, uplifts the humble but opposes the proud. God and pride are at odds. There's a few others. Uh, Proverbs 11 says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. Or Proverbs 29, one's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. And the Lord, uh, Psalm 31, the Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. You know, pride hears that verse and says, oh, good, God's going to repay me. Finally, I get what I deserve. And you're right. (laughs) It's just not what you want it to be. What you deserve is not what you think you deserve. But these verses, right, pride goes before destruction. Um... When pride comes, then comes disgrace. One's pride will bring him low. Why? Why does pride lead to destruction and to a fall into disgrace? Because it's opposed to the sovereignty of God. Okay. It's opposed to the sovereignty of God? Right. So, if you're against God, are you going to win? Nope. But why else? Yeah. yeah, pride, another way to put it, pride doesn't get satisfied, but it's always, always needs something more. And eventually, right, it's just walking out off a plank. Mm-hmm. Charlie. Pride's 
down. All right, missing the target, even just a little bit, is enough to all the way off the deep end. I think there's a couple other reasons, though. Think about your relationships with other people. Do you know any prideful people? And everyone should say yes. You should say yeah in the mirror every morning. Um, but maybe you also know other people in your life, maybe at work or friends or, or uh, family members who are just really prideful people. Do you like spending time with those people? Yes? No? It's not great. Maybe you tolerate it. right? But being around prideful people is not fun. So put yourself in the prideful person's Man, it's like Peter Pippa Pipples. <laughs> Put yourself in the prideful person's position. <laughs> their relationships with other people are affected by their pride, right? Other people don't want to be around them. So if you are that prideful person, other people don't want to be around you. You're alienating yourself. Which ends to what? Loneliness. Failure. Because how do, you get, how do you succeed and live in a world when you don't even have friends? Or when the people that you are friends with are only friends with you because they think they can get something from you? Or what kind of relationships are those? They're not friendships. Uh, which means that as you alienate yourself, what you're really doing is setting yourself up to fail. Because how do you survive without people to pick you up? Without people to be there for you? People who actually care about you? If you're that prideful person, what you're doing is alienating yourself. And maybe you think you deserve the adoration of others, but what you get is the opposite. You get, at, at best, people roll their eyes at you. At worst, they hate you. Pride is not just something God takes seriously. It affects your relationships with other people. Which means that if you don't take it seriously, you will lose people in your life. You will start to feel the effects of it. It will lead to disgrace. It will lead to destruction. It will lead to a fall from grace. Why? Because you've cut yourself off from everybody and everything that would build you up. And also, the other reason, right, that, that Gary already mentioned, opposing sovereign will of God, if God opposes you, you're not going to get very far. But there's also the, the, a third reason, right, that pride believes itself to be far more capable than it actually is. And pride thinks that it's, it's the best thing to happen to the world since sliced bread. It says, I'm, I'm the best at everything that I touch. Maybe you don't actually think that, right? You don't wake up in the morning and say, today I'm going to be amazing. But you go out and you live for your own glory. Right? You go to work in order to, to make an impression on your boss or to make sure that you get the best possible raise that you could get. You do all these things to advance yourself. Or you, you, you parent your kids in such a way so that, they, that you are pouring yourself in it. You're trying to mold them into your own image. Why? To get glory. But the problem is you're not the parent you think you are. You're not 
the, the employee that you think you are. You're not the Christian that you think you are. You're not amazing. And when you believe that you are, what's going to end up happening is you're going to fail. And that's going to destroy who you think, what you think of yourself, what you think of others. It's going to ruin relationships because pride doesn't blame itself. Right? Pride says somebody else has done this to me. I am in this position because someone else hates me or because someone else has failed. Right? Why do we have in our culture this, this huge victim's mentality? It's always somebody else's fault. And it's in the church. It's always somebody else's fault. We don't stop and, and look at our own hearts and say, what have I done? How do I honor God by owning up to what I have done? How can I seek forgiveness, seek to rectify what I have done wrong, instead of looking at somebody else and saying, I can't do anything until they get their life together, until they apologize to me? Right? Alienating others. Because it says they are the problem. That's what pride does. Because pride's about you. It's about how others view you. Pride's about what you can get from them. And the problem is that we are not as capable as we think we are. And so when the, when the failure comes, when the fall comes, it's a big one. Think back to, to Exodus, right? We covered Exodus 1, was it last week? No, two weeks ago, three weeks, I don't remember. We covered Exodus 1 a while ago. Uh, and even before that, we covered Exodus 2 uh, during the candidating trip. And in Exodus 2, what happens? Moses goes out and says, I'm going to be amazing today. <laughs> and he kills somebody because he thinks that's what will lead to him getting glory. But what happens? His life collapses. He loses everything. His friends, his family, even living in Egypt, can't do that anymore. He has to run for his life. And what got him there? It was pride. Plus God's sovereignty, because he knew that Moses needed to be humble, so he humbled him through that time where he was just... Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's the Lord and His providence perfectly planned it all out. From a prince in Egypt to a yeah. Sheep yeah. Which is not a terrible place to be, right? It's not a bad place to be to have the bottom fall out of your life, be completely humbled, and be content to be a, a shepherd in a land where nobody knows you. That's better than living in Egypt with pride. It's better to be humble and be a nobody than to be somebody and yet be full of pride. Here's a classic example. If you have your Bibles, turn to, to Daniel 4. If you don't have them, you can just listen. Daniel's right after Ezekiel. 
right before uh, Hosea. We mentioned this uh, last week when we were talking about humility, right? When we talk about what, hap- what does God do with pride, right? He, either you humble yourself or God humbles you. And we mentioned this story, uh, but I think we should delve into it just a little bit deeper. Uh, this is Daniel 4. We're going to read from verse 28 um, through, I think, verse 34. Or verse 35. Daniel 4. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. And at the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. Does that sound familiar to anybody? King David walking around the, the roof of his palace in Jerusalem. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. And while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he wills. And immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. And he was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to, gener- to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Now, that's a striking story, isn't it? That's a story of, of pride, destruction, but yet the humility that follows. So, so at this, in this story, right, what happens? What, is, what does Nebuchadnezzar refuse to do? Refuses to humble himself, yes. And, and how? How does he refuse to humble himself? Right. That, that went on there. And then instead of humbling himself before God, he builds this statue to himself and mm-hmm. has everybody worship it. Right. Right after Daniel told him, you know, this you didn't do this. Boom, right in the face. Yeah. So so he refuses to acknowledge God. Right, Proverbs, in all your ways acknowledge the Lord. That's what Nebuchadnezzar fails to do. And instead, right, like Gary said, he, he built idols to himself. He struts around on his palace and he says, look at all this stuff that I have built for whose glory? Nebuchadnezzar's glory. For his majesty, for his glory, in order to exalt himself. And like we talked about last week, if, if you don't humble yourself, right, God will. God will act. And he goes from right the, the most important person in this kingdom 
to the lowest member of the kingdom, livestock. Right? It's, it's as if God is saying, here's, here's cows, here's you. We're going to swap. We're going to do one of those uh, princess, or prince and the pauper things where you're going to live like the lowest member of your kingdom, just a cow, and know what it's like. And then you shall see. So here's Nebuchadnezzar strutting around his palace saying, look at my glory. But he ends up looking to heaven and saying, look at God's glory. That's, that's the dynamic of pride, right? Pride doesn't look at heaven. Pride looks inside and says, look what I have done. Look at my glory. But what ends up happening is we, we look then at, we're humbled, and then we have to look at just how much bigger God's glory is than ours. God's kingdom is not like Nebuchadnezzar's, which doesn't exist anymore. But God's kingdom is from an everlasting dominion. His kingdom extends from generation to generation. The, the number of people in the entire world is like a grain of sand compared to the kingdom of God. And he does what he wants. See, that's what pride wants for itself. Pride wants to establish an everlasting dominion. Pride wants everybody else to look like paupers compared to us. And pride wants to do whatever it wants and have the power and authority to do it. So my guess is that you know, none of us are, are strutting around our porch and saying, look at the kingdom that I've built. Right? But we are waking up every day and trying to do this, trying to achieve this, trying to build something that will last forever trying to make other people look like they aren't as good as us. And we, we are better and more majestic. And pride tries to do what it wants. Pride doesn't care what God says. So pride does things like creating its own Ten Commandments. If God has his commandments, that's great, God, but you know what? I'm going to make my own, and they're going to be better. Thou shalt not disrespect me. I am worth all of your respect and all of your honor and praise. Thou shalt believe me. Because obviously I know everything. Everything that I say is, is gold. Pride creates its own laws that other people have to follow. Because pride is saying that I'm king and you are not. So let's ask this question. What about when it seems like the prideful people get what they want? How do we make sense of that? Here's all these, here's how pride is so terrible and sets itself up as opposed to God. But then why is it that if God is opposed to the proud, that he doesn't immediately shut them down? Yeah, the character of God. God is merciful and gracious and patient. Patient with proud people. 
sovereignty to humble his own people if if he leaves them there. <laughs> yeah, they're they're there for a purpose. They think they're getting what they want, but in reality, God is using them. It's very clever by God. But, yeah, Steve. Yeah. We, we have more things, material goods, and access to food and everything that we could possibly want, and yet we're so depressed. It means that we're not actually getting what we need. I think the mercy of God is that he humbles us. It's actually a mercy of God to humble us. Because then we're actually getting what we need. I think there's, uh, yeah, what Michelle said was, is, I think, really true, that sometimes God uses the pride also to humble his people. Uh, psalm 73 uh, is a psalm of jealousy of the proud. It's a psalm of envy. It says, I, I looked at the wicked and the proud. And I, almost, I almost slipped. I almost gave up trying to be who God wants me to be. Why? Because it looks like they get everything. And it looks like I get nothing. It looks like I have to suffer and give up all the things that I want. And they don't. They don't have to give up anything. They don't have to suffer. They live in comfort and ease. They live as, as like kings and royalty. They eat so much that their eyes are bugging out. Right? They are fat and sleek and they don't have any problems. How come? How come, God? That's a temptation that either you have felt it or you will feel it. Because there will come a point where you look at your life and you say, why am I not getting the things that I want? And why are other people getting them? Why is pride and ambition the way to get ahead in the world when humility and sacrifice make you end up like a doormat? How long do the prideful get to enjoy the fruits of their pride? 70 years, 80 years, 90? And then what? It's all gone. And Ecclesiastes says it's vanity because you build a kingdom and then you give it to somebody who, doesn't work, who didn't work for it and you don't get to enjoy it. And then it's gone. Is that really what you want? To build a kingdom that you pass on to somebody who doesn't, who didn't work for it, and that will crumble in a short time? 
And that's what Psalm 73 ends with, right? Psalm 73 ends with the psalmist crying out to God and then going to the temple, and then he sees what's going to happen. He sees, okay, there's two paths. Yeah, this path leads to temporary comforts, security, food, pleasure, but then it's right off the deep end into destruction. This path is hard. This path takes sacrifice. This path means I'm not going to be comfortable. I'm not going to get what I want. I'm not going to get to do what I want to do. But it leads to heaven. It leads to blessings that we, right now, cannot even imagine. It's like C.S. Lewis's quote. We are are just so focused on the little pleasures that we get from making mud pies in the dirt, in the slums, we can't even fathom what a vacation at the beach looks like. But that's what is offered to us. And instead, we're content to fool around, play with mud pies. But God offers us something better. Can I, can I take of course. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I didn't do that on purpose, but <laughs> yeah, I did that on purpose. I'm really smart. Um, <laughs> yeah, thanks for calling me out on it. Um, but yeah, pride, that's what pride does towards God, right? It says that I am a, it, it acts like an animal towards God. Charlie. Waiting on the Lord. Right? It's part of humility, part of following uh, following Christ. Um, so we have a couple minutes left. I want to leave you with some questions to think about. Um, you don't have to answer them right now, but maybe something, some questions to do a little heart searching. Why do you get up in the morning? Coffee. <laughs> Coffee. Oh, Charlie, be serious. It's true, but come on. But your your alarm goes off, right? Why do you get up? You don't have to answer right now, but think about it. Like, what drives you to get up and to do your morning routine and to go to work or or to take care of your kids? Is it? Are you getting up for yourself? 
Are you getting up because you have to? Are you getting up because you want to serve God? Is it prideful or is it humble? Do you care what others think about you? And I'm not saying that, you know, the right way is to not care and to just do whatever and who cares if people are offended. That's not the point. The point is, do you live for others' approval? And if that's true, isn't that pride? And how should you live concerning others? What do you think of yourself? Do you love yourself? Or do you hate yourself? And aren't those both pride? How should you view yourself? Think about these questions. As we, as we worship the Lord today and as we go out this week, think about those questions. Why do you get up? Do you live for others' approval? What do you think of yourself? How do you view yourself? Because I think those are some of the places where pride lurks, right? It's in what we think of ourselves. It's in what others think of us. And it's in why we do things. That's usually where pride is lurking. But I don't want to leave you all without any hope either. I don't want to just come down hard on pride for 45 minutes and kick you out and say, all right, go do sit in the corner and think about what you've done. But there's hope. Like John said, there, we, we serve a merciful and gracious and patient God. We serve a Savior who humbled himself, who was equal with God, but didn't consider that something that he could use for his own advantage. He said he, he used his position as equal with God for your advantage for your good. That's the God that you serve. If you confess your pride and you repent before him, it's forgiven and it's not counted against you. And all of Christ's humility and righteousness belongs to you. That's the gospel that we have to keep going back and remembering and believing because pride will not be gone in a day it's going to take the rest of your life of, of rooting it out. You get distracted for a minute, and then it's grown back. But that's the life God has called us to, dying to ourself. And that's a good life. So while we pray, um, confess to God, but also give thanks for his son. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, your kingdom is impervious to attack. We mount assaults on your throne every day, Lord, trying to overthrow you. Our pride drives us to act for ourselves and to act against others. We selfishly and foolishly believe ourselves to be more capable, more awesome than we actually are. Forgive us of our pride, Lord can cleanse us. May you humble us by your mercy so that we might live lives glorifying to you, not for our glory, and that we might, with Nebuchadnezzar, look up to heaven and confess 
You are the Most High. And praise and honor be to you forever. Thank you for your Son, for his humility and sacrifice on the cross. May be with us as we worship you today and bless our conversations and our fellowship. And you walk with us and teach us how to trust you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Next week, we'll actually talk about temperance.